Morning. Well, since we seem to have a bunch of grown-ups in the room this morning, let's dive right in, shall we? Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad to be part of FBC and everything you're doing. It's very exciting. And I, I get to land the plane on this four-week series, The Bible for Grown-Ups. Uh, it's the season finale today. So you've come on a brilliant Sunday. And um, I'm really excited about what, uh, what we're going to go through t- together. And, and if, correct me if I'm wrong, but whether you've been here in the room for the past four weeks or you've watched some of the, the talks online, you've caught up online, it's been a bit of an eye-opener. I mean, some of the conversations I've already had this morning with people are saying, I've learned things I never knew. In fact, at times for some people, this series has been a little controversial, right? Because we've said things like the story of our faith doesn't begin with Adam and Eve and the loincloth and the snake and the apple and all that jazz. That's not where the story of the uh, the Christian faith begins. The story of our faith doesn't begin where the Bible actually begins. In fact, our story, the story of the Christian faith, and whether you've been into this story for many decades, or whether you're freshly into this Christian story and you're wondering what it's all about, or whether you're kind of curious because a friend's invited you along and you're sat there thinking, I don't know if I believe all this stuff, Um, or or whether you're you're catching up with this online because someone said you should. If you're interested, the story of of the Christian faith doesn't begin where the Bible begins. It begins on Easter Sunday morning. It begins with this Jesus who died and came back to life again and is still alive today. So the story of our faith, this, this big story of God, doesn't begin with creation. It begins with resurrection. If there was no resurrection, if the resurrection didn't happen, there would be no Bible. The Bible didn't invent Christianity. The Bible didn't create Christianity. That's why this series has been quite controversial for some of us. Because we talked about the fact that Christianity is a result of an event. And we're going to hang around this event called resurrection today and get right to the bottom of what it actually means for our lives today. Christianity is a result of an event that created a movement. And 2,000 years since that movement began, we here in Finchampstead, we're still part of that movement And this movement produced texts, eyewitness accounts like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and letters written by the Apostle Paul. And these texts were collected, they were protected, and they were bound into a book. And so this idea of resurrection being at the center of our faith, being the foundation of our faith, is so very important. And it's why we've done this series. Because if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, if Jesus isn't alive today then FBC is a waste of time. Your time here this morning is a waste of time. All this gear on stage, all these worship songs, having preachers, um, volunteering and serving around the church, this center itself, employing staff, complete and utter waste of time if the resurrection never happened. And if you're thinking, hang on a minute, Duncan, that's just a harsh thing to say. Well, the Apostle Paul, thousands of years ago, wanted to underline this to some Christians in the Roman city of Corinth. So he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. That's how foundational, that's how important the resurrection is to our faith. So I want you, my bottom line, my big idea this morning is I want you to understand that this thing we call the Christian faith, whether you're curious about it, whether you're fresh into it, or you've been around it for ages, it's not based on some clever idea that one guy once had and so put it down in a book and thousands of years later people are following it. It's not based on a feeling. It's not based on some ancient philosophy. It's not even based on some ancient texts that people call the Bible. Our faith, Christianity, is based on this one verifiable historical event that changed the world. So let me explain exactly what I mean by that. 
You can go to the tomb of any religious leader in the world and you can see where they're buried. You can dig down if you wanted to and find their bones in a tomb. So you could go to the tomb of Buddha, you know, the founder of Buddhism, who died of natural causes at the age of 83, and you'll find his tomb and his bones in Nepal. You could go to the tomb of Muhammad, the founder of the Islamic faith. He died in 1632, and he's buried in the Medina in, in Saudi Arabia. You can go to the tomb of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, killed by a mob in 1844, and he's buried in the American state of Illinois. You could go to the tomb of Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, who died of a heart attack on a train in 1916, and he's buried in Pennsylvania. And you could go to the tomb of L. Ron Hubbard, who is the founder of Scientology. Now, he died of a stroke in 1986, and he's buried somewhere in California. Bottom line is, you can go to any grave of any founder of any world religion, and you will find their bones. But you can catch a plane today from Heathrow Airport and you can go to this little place just outside Jerusalem and you can get a guided tour around the garden tomb of Jesus like these characters are and you can actually walk into his tomb. And you know what? When you get in there, it's empty. There's no body there. I find this fascinating. I really do. The tomb of Jesus is the only place in the world where people go to see what isn't there. It's the only tourist attraction where people pay good money to see what isn't there. You see, the Christian faith isn't based on ancient writings and ancient philosophies and clever ideas and feelings. It's not based on ancient texts. It's based on a verifiable historical event. And it changed human history. And this is so very important for us to look at at the end of this series. Because for, for thousands of years, for centuries... People have tried to disprove the resurrection because they know. They know that if they could just find the key that disproves the resurrection, then Christianity would come tumbling down and they could be the ones that prove it's all a hoax. If only you could disprove the resurrection. In fact, just days after Jesus came back to life, just days after the resurrection, there was nothing more than the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders would love to have done than disprove the resurrection. Because if they could have done that, Christianity would have stopped in its tracks just a few days old. And it was so easy for them to do. They just needed to produce a body. Hey, you're going around saying Jesus is alive. He's not. Look, he's here. He's dead as a dodo. But they couldn't produce a body. There was no body in the tomb. Um, Jesus lived. Jesus died. And then Jesus lived again. And it changed the world. So today, I want to hang around this idea of resurrection being the foundation of our faith as we come to the end of this series. And I want to look at it, look at this idea of resurrection through one of the eyewitness characters in the story. Now, you know what it's like in life. Um, if, you tell, if I tell you somebody's first name, you can probably guess their second name, right? So if I said Elvis, you would guess Presley. Very good. If I said Angelina, you'd say Jolie. Very good. Let's see what level we've got here amongst this audience. If I said uh, SpongeBob, you'd say Square. Square. See, look at that. The loudest cheer of the lot. What an intelligent bunch you are. But if I tell you what this Bible character is known for, I bet you you can tell me his name. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. We all associate doubt. We all associate skepticism with poor old Thomas. He's probably the most famous skeptic in the world. 
But he didn't stay that way. In fact, he only stayed doubting Thomas for seven days. So let me tell you a little bit of his story. He followed Jesus for three years. He gave up a, a lucrative career and decided Jesus was the Messiah. So he followed him for three years. And he listened to his amazing teachers. Thomas listened to everything Jesus said. And this teaching was unlike all the other teaching of the religious leaders who seemed to bound people up and, and trap them with their words. But Jesus set people free with these words. Thomas was amazed by his teaching. He saw Jesus make lame people walk again. He saw Jesus make blind eyes see and, and, and deaf ears hear. In fact, Jesus, uh, Thomas, Thomas actually saw Jesus bring dead people back to life again. Because Thomas was one of the um, select hand-picked disciples, the select few that followed Jesus. And so when they nailed nails into Jesus' hands and they pinned him on a cross, on that Good Friday, when Jesus died, all of Thomas's hopes and dreams died with him. And when they took Jesus off a cross and they bound him up in grave clothes and they put him into a grave, when they buried him, all of Thomas's hopes and dreams for the future were buried with him. That was his friend in there. That was his hope in there. That was his future in there. And now Thomas just felt crushed. He'd given up everything to follow this man and he's dead and he's gone and Thomas felt crushed. And so Thomas and the other disciples, they hot-tailed it after Jesus died to the upper room and they sat together uh, in the upper room sort of licking their wounds and thinking about the future and they were sad in that upper room. As they sat together, huddled together in that upper room, they were sad. They were sad because their friend had died and they were afraid in that upper room because they, the religious authorities, they killed Jesus. They crucified him. What were they going to do to us? And they felt abandoned. I mean, they'd followed him for three years. What were they going to do now? But then something happened that none of them expected. resurrection happened and none of them expected it and look what happened next John an eyewitness records what happened next on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked they were afraid in this upper room the doors were locked because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders Jewish Jesus came and stood among them this Jesus who they'd seen die on a cross was suddenly there in the room with them so of course Jesus had to say look peace be with you because their knees were knocking they were terrified Peace be with you, Jesus says, after he says this. He shows them his hands, where the nails went in. It's me, boys, it's me. Shows them the, the, the uh, scar in his side. 
And of course, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And they were all together in this upper room experiencing this. All of them. Except one person. Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. And nobody knows why he wasn't there. Maybe he'd popped down to the corner shop to get a paper and a pot noodle. Who knows? But when he comes back, with his pot noodle in hand and his paper under his arm, and he wanders into the room and he looks at all these excited, overjoyed disciples, he says, what's going on? And they say, you'll never guess. You'll never guess who was here just now. You missed him. And Jesus, uh, Thomas says, what, Pilate? No, no, no. Was it one of the Jewish leaders? No, no, no. Thomas, it, it was Jesus. He was here, Thomas. He's alive. And you can imagine Thomas saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull the other one. You're just trying to make me feel better, right? No, honestly, Thomas, Jesus was here. He showed us his hands and he saw, he's alive. And Thomas, you can imagine Thomas saying, yeah, look, I'm sorry. I know we all want Jesus to be alive again. And it's all very sad that he died. I get that. But I'm not going to believe it because it's too fanciful. I'm not going to believe it unless I can see with my own eyes. No, hang on. Scratch that. I'm not going to believe it unless unless there's even clearer evidence. I want to reach out and touch those holes in his hands. I want to touch the scar in his side. If I can do that, if I have that kind of evidence, then I'll believe. See, Thomas didn't want to get his hopes up about Jesus again because he'd had them crushed once before and he doesn't want them crushed again. So a whole week goes by. Jesus leaves Thomas alone for seven days to wrestle with all these doubts and questions. And his friends kept taking him out to Starbucks and sitting him down, having buying him coffee and saying, why don't you believe? It's true, it's real, we saw him. Thomas keeps saying, unless I can see and touch and feel, I'm not going to believe. I'm sorry, I'm not going to believe. Because he was searching, he was, he was questioning, he was doubting. And Jesus gave him space just to do that. This, this I do know about FBC. It's the kind of place where you're allowed to come with your questions and your doubts and wrestling with your faith. Those kind of people are welcome here. So if you're not sure about Jesus, not sure about Christianity, and you've got loads of questions, this is the place for you. Don't run from it, run to it. Because there is a whole bunch of people just like you sitting in these rows this morning. Jesus gives Thomas space to think about those things. And I often wonder, what was going through Thomas's mind as he sat there? When everybody else says Jesus is alive and he doesn't believe it, what's going through his mind? I wonder, you know, if he was thinking about his own mortality. Because I tend to... Do you do, when I go to funerals... Is that just me? Am I a bit morbid? But I do think about my own mortality at funerals. I do sit there and think, I'm going to be in that box one day. And I wonder whether Thomas was sitting there thinking, you know, that's going to be my lot one day. And he's wrestling in his mind about what he's going to do about death. You see, there are two ways that human beings have for dealing with death, right? There's a plan A and a plan B. Plan A is just to forget about it. You know, when it comes up, when it's in conversation, when it's on the TV, we just ignore it. Don't talk about that subject around me. Like kids who don't want to face up to something. They put their fingers in their ears and they shut their eyes and they go, la, 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 because they don't want to face up to an issue. And plan A for dealing with death, and lots of people do it, is they just forget about it, which is a fantastic plan. Right up till the day you die. (laughs) And then, of course, there's plan B, which isn't forget about it. It's fight it. It's put up your fists and fight I'm going to do all I can to make sure 
that death doesn't come my way. I'm going to take my vitamins. I'm not going to eat lots of sugar and saturated fats. I'm not going to drink too much. I'm not going to eat fatty meats. I'm going to go to the gym every single day. If I get on an airplane, I'm going to insist I smell the pilot's breath to check he hasn't been drinking. You know, all those kind of things. And being healthy and being safe, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing. But we can't beat death by doing those things. We can't fight it off by doing those kind of things. It's all well and good, but one day that virus comes and gets into your bloodstream. Who knows where it's come from? Or one day that big lorry jumps the red lights and smacks into the side of your car. You know, I hate to break it to you, ladies and gentlemen, we're all terminal here, right? The death statistic is hovering around the one out of every one person dies at the moment. And there's not a lot of change in that. Huh. And so Thomas, I think, was sitting in that room wrestling with his own mortality. I think Thomas was thinking, should I go for plan A? Just forget about it. No, that's not going to work. What about plan B and try and fight it off? No, that's not going to work. I can imagine Thomas sitting there going, if only there was another way. If only there was a plan C. And boom, Jesus is back in the room again. He's standing there. He's come back for Thomas. And you can imagine all the other disciples going, see, Thomas, we told you so, Thomas. Why wouldn't you believe us, Thomas? It's Jesus. He's alive. And Jesus pushes past all the disciples and he comes right up to Thomas. He says, come here, come here, come here, come here. He says, Reach out and touch these, these holes in my hands. You want to have a feel of the scar on my side. <laughs> it's like Jesus is saying, come on, Thomas, follow me now. Believe in me now. I've beaten death. And when your time comes, I'll be your guide through death as well. Because you want a guide who's been there, right? I mean, if you're walking down a road and you come to a fork in the road and you don't know whether to go to the left or to the right and there are two people sat at the fork, one's dead and one's alive, who do you ask for directions? <laughs> you don't talk to the dead person because you don't get a lot back. You talk to someone who's alive and Jesus says, I'm alive. I'll be your guide when your time comes. He's offering Thomas a, a plan C for dealing with with death, And I love Thomas's reaction. John records it. The eyewitness to this whole thing, John, he records this. He says this. Thomas then said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. It's as if Thomas in that moment is saying, I'm choosing plan C, plan A, plan B. They're worthless. I'm choosing plan C. I'm choosing the plan of the one who lived and died and is alive again. I'm making Jesus my Lord and my God. And look what Jesus says to him afterwards. I love this. John chapter 20. Jesus then, Jesus then says to him, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes and you've touched the holes in my hands. That's your evidence. That's why you're believing. Look, Thomas, even better blessings. There's even better things. Better than actually having Jesus in front of us so we can touch and feel him. There's better things from heaven. Who are they for? How do you get them? Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. That's you. That's me. Here, Jesus is talking about us. Now, people say it's way easy for Thomas to believe. He had the evidence right in front of his eyes. I haven't got the resurrected Jesus in front of my eyes. I want that kind of an evidence. It's easy for Thomas to say that. I can't put my hands in his side and feel his wounds. You know, over the centuries, like I say, intelligent people, academic people who write books, they've tried to disprove the resurrection and they've come up with theory after theory after theory to try and explain it away. None of them hold water. But you know the most famous and the most popular theory when it comes to the resurrection? 
It's what they call the swoon theory. It's these intelligent people who say Jesus didn't actually resurrect because he didn't actually die. Just swooned on a cross. And they took him off the cross and they wrapped him in grave clothes and they put him in the tomb, rolled a stone in front of the entrance. And somehow in the cool of the tomb, it revived the swooned Jesus. And he managed to unpick the grave clothes and he managed to push the three-ton boulder out of the way. He managed to overpower the crack Roman guard that were put to guard the tomb. And he managed to somehow find his disciples and they nursed him back to health. The swoon theory. I had a, a great story about one theology student. And she was in her theology lecture and the, the lecturer was exposing the delights of the swoon theory. He said, Jesus didn't actually die. That's how you disprove the resurrection. He just swooned on that cross. And this theology student was really put out by this. So she writes back to her pastor at her, at her church, and she says, look, I'm struggling here. My lecturer says that Jesus just swooned. He didn't die on the cross, so he didn't resurrect. What am I supposed to do? I love the pastor's response. Look what he says. Dear sister, he says, Beat your lecturer with a heavy whip 39 times. Nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, place him in an airless tomb for three days, and tell me what happens. (laughs) What a great response. Look, I know, I know this whole idea of, of resurrection is a tough concept to grasp. It's a tough concept for me to grasp. But you know what helps me get through it? It's the fact that all of these disciples, these eyewitnesses, they never believed resurrection could happen. They never believed Jesus would come back to life, even though repeatedly he told them that he would die and three days later he would come back to life again. They never believed it. Because if they did believe it, they would have been standing by that tomb on Easter Sunday morning, gathered around going, come on boys, ten, he's coming alive, nine, eight, hang on, seven, six, he's coming out. That never happened. They thought the idea of resurrection was ridiculous. And so after Jesus dies, it's all done for them. He's not coming back. So they go back to their old jobs. But then you fast forward a week and now they're leaving those old jobs and they're telling whoever will listen about the resurrected Jesus. And all of these disciples, every single one of them, apart from John who ended up on a prison island called Patmos, all of these disciples died for what they believed about the resurrected Jesus. And they died horribly, some with a sword, Some died by being crucified. Some were stoned to death. Some were killed with a spear. Some were beheaded. Because they believed that Jesus was alive. And no one dies for a lie, right? I mean, you think one of them, as he's got his head on the block and the sword was about to chop his head off, one of them would have said, well, hang on, boys. Don't do that. All right, I give in. (laughs) It was a lie. I just wanted to start a religion, me and the other guys. We just wanted to make a bit of money, have a bit of fun. Didn't actually happen. Jesus isn't alive. They all died for what they believe in. They all died for the fact that they knew Jesus was alive. alive. So what moved them from at one, min- one minute throwing the towel in and giving up and going back to their old jobs to now giving up their very lives for Jesus? What was the thing that changed? This is what changed. They saw him. They saw him alive. And they never expected it. He was dead and he came back to life again. And they never expected it to happen. I mean, that first morning when they, looked, <laughs> when they looked in the tomb and the tomb was empty, they didn't say, wow, he's come back to life, just like he said. What did they say? They looked in the tomb and they went, oh, who's stolen the body? 
because they just didn't believe it was going to happen. The most evidence we have for the resurrection are the eyewitnesses. There's a guy called Matthew. He saw Jesus alive again. He was a tax collector and he wrote about it and we still have Matthew's eyewitness account. There was a fisherman called Peter who sat on a beach after Jesus came back to life and Jesus cooked Peter breakfast and Peter writes about it. And Jesus' own brother, James, who didn't believe his big bro was the son of God until after the resurrection and everything changed for him. He was an eyewitness to the whole thing. And then we had this Greek doctor called Luke. And Luke, as a doctor, was used to writing detailed accounts. And we have a detailed research account on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in the book of uh, Luke and the book of Acts in the Bible. And then there's the Apostle Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. And then he met Jesus, the risen Jesus, and it changed his life forever. So he, he went from being the persecutor of the church to the greatest servant the church has ever known. He went from being a Christian killer to a church creator and created churches all over the known world. And he, he ends up writing letters back to these churches that he creates. And he, those letters we still have today, they form a third of the New Testament part of the Bible. See, these people's lives didn't change because of a philosophy. They didn't give up their lives and follow everything because some guy had written a book and come up with some clever ideas. No, 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 no. Their lives changed because they saw Jesus alive. And it wasn't just them. It wasn't just them. There were just a handful of people. There were many others that saw him. Again, Paul writes about it to the Corinthian church. He says this to the Corinthians. He says, what I received, I pass on to you of first importance. Hey, hey listen, guys, reading this letter. There's nothing more important than this. It's the first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living today. So those twelve can say, you don't believe us? There are 500 people, most of them still alive today. You can go talk to them and they'll tell you that Jesus is alive. Do you understand the foundation of, of the Christian faith? The foundation of this faith that you might well be considering jumping into or you've just jumped into or you've been around for ages. It's not some philosophy written down in a book. It's not some ancient texts. It's not even a feeling. You know, yeah, sometimes I feel God loves me. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel he's there and sometimes I feel he's not. It's not based on that. It's based on a verifiable historical event that we call the resurrection. Listen, let, let me bring the whole thing into land here. Think about it this way. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from today, the only thing that will matter to your life is what you believe about plan C. A hundred years from today, the only thing that's going to really matter to you is what you believe about this man, Jesus, who claims to be alive today. It's the only thing that's going to matter. I mean, think about it. In life, we have big decisions to make, right? Decide what school we go to. Decide what university we go to. Decide what job we take. We have to decide what person we want to spend the rest of our lives with. Decide whether we're going to have kids. and Decide which postcode we live in and how much money we spend on a house. and Some big decisions. None of those decisions will matter. None of them in 100 years' time. The only thing that will matter is what you decided to do about Plan C and about Jesus. So I want to finish by suggesting two takeaway questions for you. If you like, two diagnostic questions for you to think about. First question is this. When did you believe? When did you believe the events of the resurrection? 
When? Was it when you were a kid at Sunday school? You were just a little wee and you thought, this is real. Was it, was it when you were a teenager and you went to some Christian camp and it was late one night in a tent and you thought, I think this is real. Maybe for you it was an adult. Maybe you were part of this church. Maybe it was on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's been part of this series. Maybe right now as I'm talking and you're either listening to this online or you're listening in the room and you're thinking pennies are dropping, lights are going on. This is real. I've never thought about it like this before. I think I believe. Listen, I'm really glad you believe. Really, I am. But don't make believing in the resurrected Jesus your final step. It's a great first step, but please don't make it your last step. Because there's a second takeaway question, a second diagnostic question, and it's this. When did you accept the events of the resurrection? When did you accept it? When did you have a moment like Thomas who who didn't say, I believe you are the God. I believe you are the Lord. He said, you're my Lord. Now I've seen you alive. You're my Lord. You're, You're my God. He made his belief personal. When did you accept the events of the resurrection? When did you make your belief personal? So this detailed doctor, Luke, who writes this research account on the death and the life of Jesus, he says this, he records this amazing occurrence when Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. And he he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming. And he gave them this reply. Kingdom of God never comes by watching for it. You can't stand on a beach and, and, and look out for it. The kingdom of God doesn't come by watching for it. People can't say, look, here it is or there it is. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in you. Folks, you need to grasp this because this is life-changing. The kingdom of God is in you. Let me explain it this way. As a kid, did you ever get a Christmas present with those three words on the box that every parent hates? Not some assembly required. That's what every husband hates walking around Ikea. They're not the three words. You know those three words every parent hates? Batteries not included when you get something that needs a power source and it doesn't come with a power source oh it's so frustrating listen if the kingdom of god if this resurrected jesus is in you you come with a power source you come with a power source the batteries are included so so paul writes to one of these churches he creates in ephesus And he says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Look, I pray, I pray you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Hang on a minute, Paul. How big is this power? Because you don't know the mountain that needs moving in my life right now. So if it's just like a double A battery sort of power, that's not going to cut the mustard. How big is this power? And Paul makes it clear. I want you to understand God's power for us who believe. This same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. That power, this resurrection power we've talked about this morning, it's in you right now. That level of power. Do you see what that means for your life? You've now got the power to make right decisions when so often you make wrong ones. You've got the power to forgive someone who's hurt you so badly you can't even imagine the thought of forgiving them. You have the power to walk away from temptation even though it's juicy and shiny and everybody else is doing it. So you have the power now to to love your enemy even though everything you want to do is just to blow them up and send them to a lost eternity. You have the power now to let go of that unhelpful criticism that's blighted you for so long. 
You have the power to say the right thing at the right time rather than saying the wrong thing all the time. You have the power in you now to stare fear, the fear of tomorrow in the face and to take a step forward courageously. You now have the power to trust God for your daily needs. Even though money is really tight at the end of every month, you have the power in you to love the way you look despite what Instagram tells you that you're not good enough and you should look different. You have the power to set healthy boundaries in all your relationship lives, including your dating life. Do you see what I'm saying here? The same power that blew the rock off a tomb and gave life back to a dead man. That power, that power is not out there. It's in. 